Well, good morning, church. I said, good morning, church. This is a, a household of faith. That's Felicia said. This is a living room. Before the church met in buildings, the church met in homes. So uh, I was glad to be in the house of the Lord with you today. On behalf of my wife and my family, we want to thank you for praying for us as we went up to Virginia last week um, to celebrate the home going of Darina's 95-year-old grandmother. And uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, Darina's father, my pastor, Alan McFarland, the Lord definitely graced him and strengthened him. And the joy of the Lord was, in fact, his strength. So thank you. Some of you sent cards to us. And the church sent flowers. Um, thank you so much. And thank you, Will Anderson, for standing in the gap to preach and teach God's word to his people. And as we are ushering towards Holy Week or Passion Week, um, Strong Tower will have a Passover Seder on Wednesday of that week. Um, I have invited Bob Van Fletteren, who was one of our elders here, who for so many years led us in the Passover Seder because it's a good reminder for us here in the West that our faith did not originate here, but our faith originated from the East, from Israel. And there are so many Jewish elements of our faith that we never ever want to overlook. Um, there's this belief called uh, replacement theology where Gentiles or non-Jewish Christians will seek to replace covenants and promises made to Israel with the church. And uh, we do not do that here at Strong Tower Bible Church. We interpret scripture in light of its historical and grammatical context. And, and we uh, recognize that Israel is a people and uh, they are not to be replaced with the church. And so we take time during the Passover Seder to speak of the various Jewish elements of the Passover, which we call the Last Supper or Holy Communion. So we'll do that on Wednesday of that week. And then on Friday, we're going to have our Good Friday service right here, uh, which has also been our tradition at the church. I believe we'll start at 6 o'clock, uh, 6.30, and uh, it'll go for about an hour. And uh, I have asked my friend John Kiever, who prayed over the offering to give us a uh, word that evening. And also we have some students who will render uh, a praise dance that night. I think even the children are participating in that. And one of the, the things about that service, which is one of my favorite services of the year, is that it really gives us a time to reflect. We don't wanna rush past Good Friday on the way to the empty tomb on Sunday. We want to sit in Good Friday as much as we possibly can and begin to think about the stripes that were laid upon our Lord and the suffering that he endured so that you and I could be blessed with goodness and mercy following after us. And so what we normally do at that service is um, by the time we finish, it's dark outside. And so um, we, we close with a final song, singing in the darkness. All the lights go out here at church and we're here in the darkness and uh, because the Bible says when Jesus died, 
uh, the earth went dark for a span of three hours. So we do our best to, to sit in that moment on our way to Resurrection Sunday. So you don't want to miss that time. It's going to be awesome. So today, um, I have two more sermons left in this series, um, Black Presence in the Bible, two more sermons, because next week on uh, Palm Sunday, I will talk about the black man who assisted Christ on his way to Calvary, Simon of Cyrene, who helped Christ by carrying his cross. So we'll end our series with him next Sunday. But today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8, and we will look at the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, for many, he is believed to be the first Gentile convert to Christianity. For some, he is seen as the first Gentile convert, and he is said to be responsible for helping to plant the first church on the continent of Africa. And so this man is very significant that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, if not, read along on line with us or on the screen. And I'll begin reading at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, or rather, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So today, with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk about the gift of a black 
treasurer, the gift of a black treasurer. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that every word of scripture is inspired by you. I thank you, Lord, that you chose to include this story. You preserved this conversion of this African man in scripture for our benefit, that we might grow, that we might learn. But Lord, as we read this passage, and even as I attempt to preach it, there's so much more going on in this passage than an African man. We're going to see a Hebrew man being intentional to share the gospel. And of course, we're going to see Jesus, the suffering servant, as the Ethiopian read of Christ from the scroll of Isaiah. Oh God, so much is going on here. Would you help me to teach and preach in such a way where your people can grasp the word of God and be like the Bereans, go home and then research and study to see if these things are true. But above all, Lord, help us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word as well. Thank you, Lord, that it's up to the Holy Spirit. It's not up to us. We lean on him. We depend on him. We submit to him and we ask, oh, Holy Spirit, fill us today. And for that to happen, we empty ourselves of ourselves. As Paul would be so drastic as to say, we crucify our flesh so that Christ might live in us and through us. Thank you, God. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. It is possible, very, very possible, to be pro-Jesus and pro-black. Yes, 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 it's very possible to be pro-Jesus and pro-black. These two truths do not always contradict. In fact, it is possible to be pro-black without being anti-white. Acts 8 confirms. Yeah, I should have gotten an amen. It is possible to be pro-black. Y'all don't have to be nervous without being anti-white. I hope I've demonstrated that with my life because for so long, being pro-black was seen as something negative because in this country, to be black at one time was a negative thing. This country was birthed with an anti-black sentiment and it stayed that way for hundreds of years. And you had churches saying that black people were cursed by God and subjected to a life of servitude. So being black was not always something even black people were proud of. But we can be proud to be black because God made us this way. And he makes no mistakes when he made each and every one of us. And he placed us in various families and ethnic groups. To be black is not to be cursed. To be black, like any other ethnic group, is to be blessed because we're made in the image of God. So we have to take back those things that the enemy meant for evil and realize how God meant them. Meant, rather, how the enemy meant them for evil and how God has meant them for good. So when the Lord tells me to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as I love myself, that means I'm to love my black self and appreciate my black self and not apologize for my black self, even in the midst of a multicultural setting. 
And so it is possible to be pro-Jesus and pro-black, to be pro-black without being anti-white. And Acts chapter 8 confirms that I don't have to apologize for my Jesus or apologize for my rich African heritage. Acts 8 gives me permission to praise Jesus, the one who saves the nations, and also to thank him for my unique makeup in the tapestry of the kingdom of God. You see, Acts chapter 8 dispels several lies and several myths that have been told, once again, for hundreds of years. And if a lie is told long enough, you begin to believe that it's true. Myths can permeate and saturate our minds, our self-conscious to the point where we just accept things as true without even examining them. We accept them as true because granddad said or Uncle Ernest said or Uncle Leroy said. We just accept these things as true. But the Bible says that spiritual people test all things. And so we're going to test and see about these lies. And Acts chapter 8 today dispels several lies. Lie number one, that Christianity reached Africa when the Portuguese reached Africa in 1444 to enslave Africans. Historically, that's when the Portuguese, the Europeans, arrived in Africa along the western coast sometime around 1444 by Prince Henry the Navigator. And they discovered gold, not only gold in the land, but what is called Nubian gold, Africans. And the system of enslaving Africans began in the mid-1400s. And so it is some who will say that that is when Christianity reached Africa, when the enslavers came. And they brought Christianity as a tool to uh, make docile the Africans. But that is not true if we just let the scriptures speak for themselves. Because Acts chapter 8 occurs sometime in the first century, not long after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and even outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church in the first century. This African man, as we're going to look at today, who was coming from Ethiopia into Jerusalem to worship, that he became a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the first century went back home rejoicing. So therefore, Jesus reached Africa centuries before slave ships did. I said, Jesus, the gospel, the church, reached Africa centuries before slave ships did. This is very important. It's very important. Because there are many black people who will say that Christianity is the white man's religion, who will discount Christ and not want to trust him, seek him, know him, learn of him, because they are under the guise and even the lie that Christianity is the white man's religion and slavery was used to make docile those in Africa. Those are lies that the truth of Jesus sets us free with. Africa is another lie, they say, was an uncivilized continent in the ancient world. Africa was uncivilized. And, and if we let Hollywood tell us, you know, what Africa is like, we will think that people in Africa, again, are uncivilized savages and beasts jumping around half nude and, and all of this kinds of stuff. But when I read Acts chapter 8 from the Bible, the word of God, in the first century, Ethiopia 
had a thriving economy to the point where they had a treasurer. So they had order. They had civil organization. They were a nation. Uh, and, and we don't have to wait even for Acts 8. If you've been with me here, you know we go back in the Old Testament to the Queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon. And again, there was a, a localized, organized government. These people were not savages. They were just as civilized as anyone else. So again, we're in the Bible, and we're learning from the Bible in order to dispel all of these lies that we hear so, so much. And another lie that we've been conditioned to believe is that black people are not intelligent. That black people are not intelligent, or they're less intelligent than their white counterparts. There's some who've even gone so far as to talk about the skull shape of Africans, African Americans, to imply that, you know, we are not as smart, not as intelligent, and all of that kind of stuff. But in this passage, just this passage, this man is educated. This man, this Ethiopian, is intelligent. How do I know? Because number one, he's reading. And not everyone in that culture and in that time read. And one of the reasons the Catholic Church was able to really expand was because not many people could read during that time. Reading was something that only a few people could do uh, when the Catholic Church was birthed. And so they had to trust the words of the priests and what they said. Um, but here this man is in the first century again, reading. And not only reading, but he's reading and communicating in another language. We don't know for sure what his Ethiopian language was, uh, but when he came to Israel, he either spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. So he was at least bilingual in that regard. And here he's reading a copy of the word of God, which at that time was either in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. So he's a very educated man who held a position of power in a thriving, civilized nation. This is just my introduction. We can go home because th th this has shut down a lot of lies that rest in our subconscious. That when we see people, and even for black people, when we see other black people, and we're tempted to believe some of these lies. But oh no, let God be true and every man a liar. Today we're going to see three things. Number one, Philip is to be commended. Oh yeah, we got to commend Deacon Philip. And then secondly, the Ethiopian is to be respected. Respect this brother. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus is to be praised. Amen, amen. Well, let's jump right into it. Number one, Philip is to be commended. In the passage we read today, uh, Philip plays a, a key role in this black man coming to faith in Christ. Well, who was Philip? Well, number one, he was a servant leader. And in Acts chapter 6, the Bible talks about how the early church was growing. The church of Jerusalem was born on the day of Pentecost. And so you had thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the feast. There were also proselytes to Judaism, that is, Gentiles who picked up the Hebrew faith, and they were coming to worship. Um, and so the church was born on that day. 120 people went out into the streets and preached the gospel. 3,000 plus came into the church. So the church was growing. It was booming. It was an organism before it was an organization. It was a living thing before it became structured. 
Well, in Acts chapter 6, structure was forced upon this booming movement because there were some widows who felt overlooked uh, because they were feeding. The church had a feeding program, and there were widows who were being overlooked. Well, who were those widows? According to the book of Acts chapter 6, they were the Hellenists, Hebrews. Who were they? They're Jewish people who subscribed to Hellenism or Greek culture. They were looked down by the purebred, if you will, Hebrew people who did not subscribe to the ways of Hellenism or Greek culture, which came into play by Alexander the Great. And so, so there was discrimination in the church amongst the widows. So when the, pop, the apostles saw that it was wrong, they said, we've got to appoint some men who are full of faith and the Holy Spirit because, you know, when church folks start fighting, y'all got to have some faith and some Holy Ghost on you to deal with these folks and don't mess over people's food. So let's get this straight. So they appointed seven men to wait tables, seven men to be servant leaders. And we know of Stephen, but also there was Philip and five other brothers who this task, this responsibility was given to them. So right there from Jump Street, we see that Philip was a servant leader who love to serve, not only just to serve elderly folk, but to serve elderly folk who felt discriminated against in the house of God because of their Greek culture. Oh, my God, what a man of God. Another thing, he was an evangelist. The Bible says in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, he is called Philip the evangelist. So he's not only a deacon. He is gifted with the spiritual gift of evangelism. So he's vocal about the gospel. And so he's called the evangelist. And we're going to see him evangelize this African man. Another thing about Philip that is to be commended is that he was the father of four virgin daughters, the Bible says. Acts chapter 21, verse 9. It's enough to be the father of one daughter. It's enough to be the father of two, three. Homeboy had four. And then somehow the scripture says that his four daughters who were not yet married were still virgins. I guess that was something to be commended then because it sure is something to be commended now. You don't have to give me a whole amen, just give me an A. <laughs> oh, Lord. Not only that, he was obedient. He's to be commended for his obedience. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Verse 27. So he arose and went. He was obedient. When the angel spoke to him, the angel didn't give him much detail. The angel only gave him a direction. He went in that direction and more details unfolded with each step. But for many of us, we won't go unless God gives us details. What do you want me to do, Lord? Can you spell it all out for me? Because if you don't spell it all out for me, I'm not going. Well, I thought we walk by faith, not by sight. And that doesn't mean being irresponsible. But what that means is God is as much in the journey as he is in the final destination. So he wants to walk with us as we're walking in the direction towards the detail towards our destiny. 
And so I love this guy because all he has is the direction. He gets up and he goes. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to uh, debate the Lord or get into a conversation. He gets up and he goes. He was obedient. And notice as he's going south, the Bible says this area is desert. In other words, as you follow God, sometimes he's going to lead you into the desert. I know you don't want to hear it, but it's true. When Jesus, before he started his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert, led him into the wilderness in order to have spiritual combat with the enemy. Sometimes the Spirit will lead you into places because a lot of us give up. Because when we start going in the direction God has for us and it's desert, it's dry, it's dark, it's lonely. We say, God, did I hear from you? Did I really hear from you? Because I didn't know it was supposed to be this hard. But what you don't know, or at least what Philip didn't know at the beginning was, yeah, you're on a road that is desert. But on that road, you're going to meet a man who's dry and who's lost and who needs the wellspring of salvation from the Lord. And then on this same dry road, not only will you meet a man, but y'all going to come across some water on this road and y'all going to have a baptism, hallelujah, Holy Ghost party right there on this same desert road. But if you give up, you'll never know about the blessing that's laid on down the road. I got to brag for a moment. The Bible says don't brag on yourself, but brag on other folk. I got to brag on one of my daughters. Chase Williamson, who is graduating next month from the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and she's a A this, 4.0 that, I mean, just so many things. And, uh, and we got a, a text from her yesterday that she's being honored uh, this month as the most outstanding student in her class, that she's being honored. So Darina and I will go up for that. And we're celebrating with my baby. And uh, she sent all the, you know, pictures, you know, how they take the pre-graduation pictures. She went and got a new dress and some new shoes. And she's out there posing and doing all this stuff. And, and we're just so excited. But, but, but four years ago, it was desert. It was dry. She was alone. She didn't have friends. She's away from home. She didn't take her car her freshman year. There are a whole bunch of hills in Chattanooga. She's mad walking to class in the rain. I mean, it was a hard freshman year, hard sophomore year. But I'm glad she didn't quit. She kept on going, and now she's experiencing oasis after oasis to the point where she said, okay, when I graduate, I don't even really want to leave school. I, I, I want to stay. I'm like, what? That's not how it started. So for somebody up in here, man, the road is desert. I want to encourage you that if God called you, if he called you, faithful is he who called you who will also do it, that there will be some oasis on this road. But keep walking in obedience, not on your feelings. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. My God, this brother's to be commended. But not only that, he was intentional. In Acts chapter 29 through verse 30, we see how intentional he was because the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Obedient and intentional. Now watch this now. He was intentional when he served the Hellenist Jewish widows. He was intentional. And he was intentional because the earlier parts of Acts chapter 8 say that he went into Samaria. And preach the gospel there. 
Samaria. Samaria was a place that Jewish people at that time did not go through. Jewish people did not care for Samaritans. And there's a whole lot in scripture, even in the New Testament with Jesus and his apostles, about their disdain for Samaritans. But this man was not sent or commissioned by the apostles to go. He was sent and commissioned by Jesus who said, make disciples of all nations, even those folk. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you're going to get some power, not just to shout in church, but power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. Philip, the evangelist, leaves Jerusalem. Where some Jews, man, they're only leaving because they're forced out because Paul was killed. and uh, Excuse me, Stephen was stoned and, and, and they, they're leaving. But this brother leaves on his own volition to go to that community and share the gospel. And not only is he preaching the gospel, the Bible says he's doing signs and wonders and miracles. The word gets back to Jerusalem. And they hear that the Samaritans have received Christ. So they send two apostles there. Peter and John. And Peter and John go to confirm the work, but also to lay hands on those people so the Holy Spirit might come upon them. So the Holy Spirit came by the touching, the laying of hands. So Jewish people had to touch Samaritan dogs so they could receive the Holy Spirit, be brothers and sisters in the body of Jesus Christ. God was doing a new thing. And Philip was the one who was intentional to go. So there's something about this brother here, this Hebrew man, that kind of, he, he has a passion for ministering to Greek people, Samaritan people, and now African people. Uh, because there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, we're supposed to be colorblind. You say that, but the only people you hang out with are your color. So how in the world, you say I'm supposed to be color. This brother here, if there ever was one, and I don't ascribe to that, but he ministered to everybody the way it's supposed to be. This is normal. But in today's world, we look at it as abnormal because everybody not doing this. We like to stay with our own kind. Not only racially, but politically. Oh, I better stop. I better stop. I better stop. I'm getting in trouble right now. Some folk leave churches because they don't have particular political persuasions and bents. Oh, my God. Help us, Lord. He's to be commended. He served the Hellenist Jewish widows. He went to Samaria to minister. He ran to meet the Ethiopian. He ran to meet the... He wasn't afraid of a black man. Do you know that there are people in this world who are still afraid of black people? And some of it is because they... Let the news tell them, let the media, let the movies tell them about the, the only black people they know happen to be in the news and on the, in the media. And they're afraid because narratives are being presented of black people. And don't let a black person be tall, big and dark skinned. Have mercy. Listen, if you're visiting with us, um, I keeps it real up in here. Uh, I talk about stuff we think about. Okay, we love Jesus. I, I hope I stated that at the beginning. He hasn't called us to be fake disciples. We're going to be real, man. Because if we don't get equipped in here, how can we minister out there? We coming all super spiritual trying to minister to a world that's struggling. Ain't going to be no connect. But man, you can be real with people because God is real with us. 
He initiated conversation with the African by asking a question. Do you understand what you're reading? He accepted the African's invitation to come up to his chariot, to go into his world. And he went into his chariot. Then he was intentional to preach Jesus to the Ethiopian. He preached Jesus to the man. And then he baptized this Ethiopian because the Ethiopian was his brother in Jesus. I thank God for Philip. Man, we need more Philips in the church who will be intentional to serve and reach out. And Acts 40 says that after he ministered to the Ethiopian, the Lord just took him away and placed him in another area because God knew this is my vessel here. This is my instrument. Wherever I put him, wherever I place him, he's going to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. He's my vessel. And I want to be like this for God. But secondly, the Ethiopian is to be respected. Why is this man to be respected? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 27, he was a man of great authority. Oh, do you see that? The Bible says he was a man of great authority. Maybe an equivalent today was that he was the uh, treasurer of the United States of America, secretary of the treasury. He had authority. He had great authority, mega authority. And here's the thing I love about it, because the Bible says not only did he have great authority in verse 27, but he was under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was a man in authority, but he was also under authority. Dangerous are the people who want to be in authority, but don't want to be under authority. Even more dangerous are black men or any man who want to be an authority but don't want to be under the authority of a woman, yet alone a black woman. I said that too fast. Should I put it in reverse and go back? Because there's a, an unhealthy hierarchical system in this country that men are dominant over women. Again, that's not the biblical concept. We'll spend time with that later this summer. But what you see here is a man who knew who he was, who had great authority, but he also knew who was over him as far as his governmental position. And it was a woman, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was not her name. That was just her title, very much like the title Pharaoh, you know. So Candace was a title back then for the queens of this dynasty and this empire. He was in authority. He was under authority. He was under female authority. Not only that, he was wealthy. Because you can't be a treasurer and be broke. You know what'll happen, right? If you're a treasurer and you broke, you're gonna pull a Judas up in there, right? Take a few things out the money. No, 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 he was paid well. So he was a wealthy man. So already we see myths are just dropping and being dispelled. He's wealthy, he's educated, he's in authority. But not only that, as we mentioned, he was educated. He was an educated man of color, black man, African man. Um, and as he was reading the scroll, more than likely he was reading from what is called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, but as the world was expanding, Greek became the common language of the day. It's called Koine or Common Greek. And so, again, under the influence of Alexander the Great, who was a Greek, who conquered the world. And so the languages came Greek. And so in order to get God's word forth, uh, there were people, 70 of them, 
who translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek because that was the common language. So this man is educated enough to not only speak his language, but also to speak Greek, Aramaic, read Greek, Aramaic. What a man, educated. But he was also a seeker of truth because he had come to Jerusalem from Africa. I don't know how many miles that was, but that was a trek. And so he's coming as a seeker of truth. Now, being a eunuch, a man who has been castrated, uh, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, he was not able to go into the temple. Now, this is key. This is very important. So he could come all that way, but still be outdoors, left outside. He could not come into the temple, the area that was comprised and designed for Gentiles because he was emasculated. So as he's come, he's a seeker of truth. He's coming and he has a copy of Isaiah in his hand. He's a seeker. What I love about God is Jesus said, seek and you will what? But I got to add this, though, because he was a seeker of God, but he was basing his seeking in Scripture. In Scripture, not in the stars and all that stuff, not, not, not in the astronomy and astrology. He wasn't that kind of a seeker. He was a seeker of God in the truth of God. And if you seek like that, you will find him. I got to say that because there's somebody right now that's seeking and you are studying the stars and, and all kinds of things. But as it has been said, don't worship the stars. Worship the one who made them. And he's in the book. No matter what issue you're dealing with, and there are so many contemporary issues in our day. I'm going to hit on one here in a minute. I pray that your seeking of truth would be in the word of God. But today, they're even questioning the validity of the word of God. Textual criticism, where now people are saying that, well, some of the Bible is inspired, not all of it. And I just want to know, okay, if all of it isn't inspired, and you say some parts are, can you trust the parts you say are inspired? Because if all of it can't be trusted, it can't be trusted in any place. So you got to accept it all or none of it. You can't parcel and pick. And usually, we don't like the parts that go against our agendas. So those were messed over. Mm -hmm. But this part that I'm misinterpreting, oh, I like this part. No, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. All of it. You don't pick and choose. God is not going to change his word for you. You must change yourself with his help to stay in line with his word. So he's in the scripture. I love this guy. He's to be respected and he's teachable because he's letting this Hebrew man teach him. He says to him, how can I understand unless somebody teach me? I love this guy because even though he's got money, even though he's got education, he's still teachable. You can't be teachable if you're prideful. You can't be teachable if you think you know everything. If you think you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room, homeboy. <laughs> teachable, humble. Wow. Wow. 
Everybody been talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock and the smack that slap her around the world and all this kind of stuff. But I've been praying for Will Smith. Not that I haven't prayed for Chris. But I see in Will Smith a man with authority. Man with knowledge, education, and of course, wealth. But he's so empty. He's struggling. You see it in him and all over him. And he came out of a Christian foundation. Because some of us who know Christ, we got that same look in our eyes. Where we look, you know, discombobulated and dumbfounded and lost and, and just... But man, when Jesus is your center, when Jesus is your foundation, when Jesus is your rock, the storms may come, but you won't blow away with the storms because of who you're grounded in. Will needs Jesus, and he needs somebody to walk with him and disciple him in the things of Jesus because the Church of Scientology evidently ain't doing it for him. He's empty, but he got all that money, but he's empty. He's tried all these philosophies and all these ways. Look at his children. He's empty. And here this man is with all this power, all this money. He's got servants with him. But he's humble enough to say, would you teach me? Once you lose that, you're lost. Would you teach me? And then here's another thing. He, he was a eunuch. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says he was a eunuch. Some have said that because he worked in Candace's court, that it was common for men to be castrated in the court. I don't know. Men become eunuchs because they're either born that way or they become that way. So we don't know what happened with him, but let's just say he became that way to get that job. That brother gets my respect. They hiring over that man in the treasury department. What's the qualification? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> oh! I respect that brother. Mm, mm, mm. Now, some have said that the eunuch, this is in modern times, modernity, they've said that the eunuch was the first gay Christian because whatever. I, I don't know how they, they, they read that into the text. Read that into the text, that he was a gay Christian. Nowhere does it say he was gay. But there are gay Christians who are not practicing. I uh, got, got quiet, okay. Um, there are gay people who love Jesus, and they love him enough not to practice homosexuality. Yeah. We're going to talk about that over the summer when most of y'all go on vacation. That's when we're going to talk about <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> y'all going to be tuning in from the beach, though. Y'all, what, what, what pastor say? What, what do you say? <laughs> Others have made him the poster child, a representative of the transgender community. Because for them, they read into the text, read into the text, that because he has been emasculated, he no longer has a gender. He's transgender. And so the LGBTQ community within the quote-unquote church 
look to this man as a, a, a transcending gender. No, no, no. Because if I go back to verse 27, this man is far from being gender neutral. Yet alone homosexual, the Bible doesn't say that. But what it does call him, there was a man from Ethiopia. Every word is inspired. He, he was a man from Ethiopia. So even though he didn't have the plumbing, he was still a man. Are y'all with me? Okay. We're just studying the Bible a little bit right now. Letting the Bible teach us. But above all, what I love about this brother, he believed in Jesus Christ. Because Philip is talking to him about the gospel, talking to him as they're going up the road, this desert road, he's talking to him about the gospel. And in the midst of talking to him about the gospel, he talks to him about baptism, how baptism is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality, and how the believers were baptized publicly to let folks know they identified with the death, burial, resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ. And in the first century, when you got baptized, your name was put on the hit list. And so he's talking to him. And so he comes to some water on the desert dry road. He says, hey, there's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? Philip said, hey, man, if you believe with all your heart, you may. I believe. What do you believe? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We can baptize you then. That's what a believer is. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, was raised from the dead on the third day. I put my trust in him. He is the son of the living God. Oh, you're a believer. He got baptized right there on the spot. I love that brother. But finally, not only is Philip to be commended and the Ethiopian to be respected, Best of all, Jesus is to be praised. He's all up in this text. Um, the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus. So 800 years before Christ, Isaiah is writing and speaking prophetically of the one who is to come. Um, a child would be born, the son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. That's in the earlier chapters we love to quote around Christmas time. But up in that chapter 53, the suffering servant, God, by providential design, had that man reading that passage, which we call Isaiah 53, right at the time that Deacon Philip was coming. Because God was setting up a divine appointment and connection because he loved this man and wanted to get this man born again. And so he's reading. The prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus is to be praised because Isaiah says that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. The shepherd became a sheep and was slaughtered so that the sheep do not have to be slaughtered in order to have a relationship with the shepherd. Jesus is to be praised because in the midst of the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. He suffered silently with compassion, with grace, with dignity. He should be praised because he went through humiliation. Not only did the Most High 
come to earth, Philippians chapter 2, and don the robes of humanity, voluntarily placing his limitless deity in human flesh, the transcendent God became limited in human flesh, male human flesh. And you would think that'd be enough. But they treated him like a common criminal. And they butchered him like a common criminal. This is humiliation that he went through. And then he went through injustice, according to Acts 8.33. Injustice that Jesus' trials were not just. They were not fair. He was set up from the word go. But it was God's plan from the beginning. But he had these unfair trials and unjust treatment. Acts 8.33 says his life was taken from the, the earth. In other words, he died. He's to be praised for these things. And again, next Friday, or Friday after this, we will have an opportunity to come and thank him for his humiliation and that he went through all of that injustice so that we might be justified. He's to be praised also because he is the son of God. And he is to be praised because he brings joy to sinners. Look at verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Won't Jesus do that to you when you meet him for yourself? Won't he give you a, a new song? in the place of a sad song. Won't you know, in, in honoring one of the Pace sisters who just passed away, Lashun Pace, when you meet them, you'll know that you've been changed. You don't have to jump a pew, but go right ahead. But you'll know that oh, I met some, I met the lover of my soul. I am not the same. I am a new creator. Oh, I'm rejoicing. He went from, what does this scripture say? To rejoicing in a matter of moments. That's what God can do to you. Well, when you read Acts chapter 8, it's obvious that Philip should be commended. This African should be respected. And Jesus should be praised. My testimony is very similar to this man in Acts chapter 8. The reason why we need to exposit and interpret the scriptures properly within its not only linguistic context, but also within its cultural and historical context, because I need to see a black man coming to Jesus like this. This is one of the few ones, if you do a search on Google, the Ethiopian actually turns up black in your search. But some of the other folk we've been talking about week after week they turn up very uh, uh, caucasoid, if you understand what I'm saying. And so, so this brother is black, and I need to see that. My testimony is similar to his. I was a seeker who went to church. I grew up in church, grew up in my grandfather's church, but I was lost. And in my grandfather's church, there was a picture of Jesus hanging on a cross 
And as a young boy, I never understood why Jesus was on the cross. I, I never understood why that man, that white man, was on that cross. I never understood. Sunday in, Sunday out, never understood. Then when my grandfather died, we went to another church. And I'm in this church distracted by the girls. There are a lot of girls in that church. Wasn't many boys. So, man, I felt like a player from the Himalayas up in that church. <laughs> Young guy. And then that church participated with a camp, a citywide camp by the evangelist Pat Kelly that I talked to you about. Invited all these kids from all over Baltimore to go to camp. So I said, cool, I'm going to camp. There's going to be even more girls at the camp. So I go to the camp, and I see all these buses, trailway buses, carrying all these kids. Man, it's going to be phenomenal. And they had the nerve to separate the guys from the girls once we got to the camp. They knew something. <laughs> you saw the girls at dinner. You saw them at some of the sporting events. But when it was time to get into the Bible, I was with all dudes. Nobody to impress. So I paid attention. Now watch this. The man who met with my particular group was a deacon at our church. He was a deacon, just like Philip. And he was one of them kind of deacons that was cool with it. He was an older cat, but he had some flow, if you understand what I mean. Like, he knew how to talk to the brothers. And this man is the father of a friend of mine, Stacy Allen, who attended this church for many years. Uh, we went to the same church in Baltimore together. And uh, uh, her, her dad's name was Milton Worley. And he was teaching my class. And guess what scripture he put on the board when he taught the guys Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? He put up Isaiah chapter 53. And for the first time, for the first time in my life, I understood why Jesus was on the cross. I've been going to church, raised in church, did not understand it. But he broke it down, Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. So I was like, oh, my sin put him up there? My mess? He died in my place as a substitute, a perfect lamb? I never understood it till that week. And I owe it all to Deacon Milton Worley, who planted the seed. And on that Friday, June 29th, 1984, I responded to the invitation, came forward, and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And something happened in me. Something shifted. I could feel fire in my chest. I felt this love. I had this joy that was unexplainable. I, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew something happened to me. And I can't preach this message without inviting another Ethiopian eunuch another Chris Williamson to come to Jesus Christ you may have been raised in church all that but you don't know the son of God for yourself because you've never asked him to be your savior as you all stand to your feet stand to your feet with me His brothers and sisters who know the Lord are praying right now give you a couple of application points to take with you be a Philip be intentional to plant seeds to reach out to people to help people with questions 
Don't browbeat them. Don't knock them out with scriptures. But be intelligent. Be intentional. Be sensitive enough. God, use me in the life of someone that has questions. I dare you to pray and ask God to lead you to the people in your family and your community who need the gospel. But not only that, be like this eunuch who was a seeker of truth, but it was grounded in scripture. Ground your life in scripture. And like the eunuch, when the Lord touches your soul, when he does something for you, like wake you up, start you on your way, rejoice and give him some praise. Rejoice and, and, and take that praise home. Just, just don't leave the praise in church. Rejoice and go on your way. Take the praise of Jesus with you. But most importantly, if, if there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. If the Spirit of God has been tugging on you, moving on you, if your heart is beating right now, would you pray a simple prayer? If you know that you know you need Jesus, that you need to be born again from your heart to God's heart, just whisper, Jesus, save me. I want to be saved. People are praying for you right now. We're no better than you. We've been where you are. They're praying that you would pray, Jesus, save me. I want to be saved. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my mess and my junk. You love me so much, you took my penalty. I believe after they buried you, you rose from the dead on the third day. I believe you are real. I believe you are the Son of God. Take over my life. As Christians are praying right now, if that was you, if you prayed with me for the first time, or maybe it's the first time you meant it, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? You prayed that prayer. Jesus, save me. I want to be saved. Is there one? Is there one? I will be right here at the end of the service just for a few minutes. I have to run to a funeral. But if you want to shake my hand and say, Pastor, I pray. <laughs> you talk about rejoicing. Man, sister, child. <laughs> Father, thank you for the good news. Oh, you could have left us all alone and you would have been just. We could have gone to hell to suffer for our sins through all eternity. And you would have been just. But God, we're so glad you're just not just. You are also merciful and loving and full of grace. And there was a time, Lord, you allowed the sacrifices of animals to cover the sins of your people. 
because they were pictures of the fact that your son, the eternal son of God, would suit up in human flesh and become a lamb to take away the sins of the world, the gospel, the good news. You died, but oh, you raised yourself from the dead with all power in your hand. And we're so glad to be in your train because you are the one who has triumphed. You are the one who has defeated death and you snatched us. You're the grave robber. You came and made us new and adopted us. We're born again by grace. And might that grace motivate us to love you well, to live for you well, to tell other people about you. You're the perfect savior. We're not perfect disciples. Thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you remain standing, Brother Ben is coming to close us.